So I was inspired a couple of weeks ago by Rabbi Gittleman's presentation about birding and tracking at our Shavuot night of study, a session that you can now watch online if you go to the Ner Shalom YouTube channel. Our ancestors understood better than many of us how alive the world is, how in praise of God it all is. Hashamayim misaprim kvod el, says Psalm 19, the sky speaks of God's glory. Everything speaks of God's glory in its complexity, in its beating heart, in its burrowing roots. All life is a psalm. Our ancestors had a custom of imagining the stars and trees and birds and reptiles speaking words of Torah. If the mouse were to quote Torah, what would it say? This playful practice called Perek Shirah developed in the Middle Ages and has been used by Jews across the Jewish world. What is the Torah of each plant and animal? If we were to imagine them speaking verses, what would they say? I live up on Sonoma Mountain, in the woods, under the sky, with hawks flying over, songbirds outside the window, fearsome bobcats and snakes and a million lizards. There are old oaks around my house and laurels, some of whose lives I've unhappily curtailed over this last month in order to make our house more fire defensible. And in the wake of the loss of these favorite fragrant trees, I've now planted flowers and herbs to have outside the kitchen door, something I'd never done in all these years, perhaps fearing to become a country living magazine cliche. But these little plants, purple basil and orange twin spur and pink primroses, joyfully spreading their wings, wiggling their toes in the aromatic organic potting soil from Harmony Nursery, well, they bring me joy. They delight my eyes and my nose. They are not a substitute for the fallen laurels, but they are a reminder that even in the hard soil of loss, things will bloom. In Perak Shirah, the wilderness itself speaks, quoting the prophet Isaiah. It says, Yesusum midbar v'tagel arava v'tifrach the arid desert shall be glad. The wilderness shall rejoice and shall blossom like a rose. The flora and fauna at my house are very, very alive. There are many personalities crowding around our house and under our house and sometimes in our house. Each has its own Torah. Each has its unintended teaching for me. For instance, there was the dark-eyed Junko that until this week was visiting every day as I sat and wrote or went to meetings on Zoom. This little sparrow with its black head and gray back and white breast and a shock of white stripe when it spread its tail feathers. This bird would land on one of several windowsills and tap until we'd look. Then it would throw its head back and sing then fly off only to return a few hours later and engage us again. Unlike the black-headed grosbeak, looking like a speckled robin that Lorenzo posted a picture of today, 
unlike the black-headed grosbeak that has been terrorizing my brother-in-law Daron for weeks as it ferociously attacks its own reflection in his office window, our Junko doesn't seem to be fooled by reflections. It seems to see through obstacles. It seems to notice our movement inside the house and look as interested in us as we are in it. It witnesses and we witness. Once or twice, the dark-eyed junko would have a bit of grass in its beak when it visited, and I realized it was building a nest and introducing itself to us, the neighbors. I haven't spotted the nest, but it is undoubtedly right there in the glory of one of the laurel trees still standing, shaded and green, every bit as lovely as any temple you could imagine. As the sparrow says in Perek Shirah, quoting Psalm 84, Gam tsipor matza vait, udror ken la, asher shata efrocheha, et misbechotecha adonai tsvaot malki velohai. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself in which to set her young, near your altar, Adonai of hosts, my sovereign, my God. And now for the last week, the junko is gone. I'm imagining it completed its nest and is sitting on eggs somewhere. And the Torah of this might be just the simple universal proposition that once you have children, your friends never see you again. Which I don't mean disparagingly. The poor thing undoubtedly has its talons full with the joy of parenthood. And life is too big for any of us to follow every interest and every curiosity. We turn to those who need us and we give our love and our attention to them. And sometimes we just have to save pecking on other people's windows for another day. Now last year, as you might recall, I had a family of lesbian deer living here, spending the heat of the day in the shade under our house. Two moms, sometimes three, and some fawns also. This year's tenants are more of a heteronormative nuclear family, a young four-point buck, a doe, and a fawn. The adults might well be the children of last year's lesbian moms, which would figure, as queer parenting has come of age, we queer parents discover more and more that most of our children are not queer. It doesn't matter how primed we are to raise queer kids the way we wish we were raised, we end up raising straight kids while the straight parents continue to raise the queer kids and so we, the queer parents, and the straight parents are all just a little out of our depth all the time, which is, frankly, the continuing state of parenthood generally, being a little out of your depth all the time. The new fawn is still tiny, spotted, maybe the size of a cocker spaniel. It is completely adorable in the way that young mammals are completely adorable to old mammals. It is shorter than the grass in the next door meadow where it and its mama often graze. It is hidden by the grass from the prying eyes of predators. But at the same time, it can't see where it's going. So it jumps, it springs in the air, pushing off of all four legs and it bounces forward, hop, 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 like its little legs are pogo sticks. One moment you're looking at grass 
Then a tiny deer is in the air, like a flying fish, and then it's gone below the surface again. What I'm learning from the fawn is the importance of getting the long view, not just once in a while when you stop to collect your thoughts, but with every step to go up and back between being firmly planted on the ground and taking in some altitude to see what's ahead, up and back, down and up, not forsaking one for the other. In Perek Shirah, the deer quotes Psalm 59. Va'ani ashir uzecha va'aranen laboker chastecha ki hayita misgavli umanos beyom tsarli and I will sing of your strength and each morning your faithfulness for you have been my haven, a refuge in time of trouble. Strength and refuge. Thank you, dear. The other creature that has caught my attention of late is not attested in Perek Shirah, but has been teaching me its Torah nonetheless. It is a creature we all know, the oak leaf roller. You won't see it now because it's probably busy becoming a moth. But a month ago, I would come out of my house in the morning and walk under the oak trees only to get tangled in fine threads of silk that would stick to hair and skin and clothing. The leaf roller is the caterpillar that we encounter in the spring, hanging by a thread. A few weeks ago, I was again at my desk, and out the window I saw for the first time a leaf roller actually descending from the tree. The sun had caught it and its silk, so I could see the whole operation as it dropped from what for it must have been a dizzying height controlling its fall by slowly letting out more and more thread. I had never seen one of them actually take this dive because they are born in the tree and they eat the buds. And then one day, driven by just a strong gust of wind, they tumble off the leaf and they glide like aerialists until they are able to draw themselves back onto a leaf where they roll themselves up and begin their transformation into moths. I think about the loneliness of these tumbles. So many of them are in the trees that to us it seems like a party. But to them, what is it? Each one tumbles alone, each one alone hanging from a thread. Each one of them eventually follow on, following a biological imperative to roll up in a leaf and build a cocoon. Does it know what is happening or going to happen? Does it have any reason to think that it is an insect like other insects it has seen, that it has anything to do with such creatures? Does it spin its cocoon just thinking how much it needs to sleep, not picturing how or if it will be transformed, thinking its life is ending, and in fact, the life it knew as a crawling thing is ending? Is this a little death? Is this fatigue? Is this faith? It is a little like when we die, when we close our eyes for the last time, not knowing if any transformation is ahead. It's like us when we're born, because who knows what is ahead in this life? Who could at that point imagine it? Or at any moment of transition and transformation that we experience, all we can do is follow our best instincts hang on tight and trust. 
This is everyday faith, not fancy faith. This is the theology that lives in ourselves, not in our thoughts. Every moment of living is an act of faith. Doubt is peculiarly human, but faith is in our DNA, this everyday faith that the next moment will flow from this one, that we will cocoon when we need, emerge when we can, and in every cycle keep spreading our wings. If the oak roller caterpillar were included in Perek Shirah, I think it might quote Psalm 119. Derech emuna vacharti, mishpatecha shiviti. I have chosen the way of faith. I find balance in your law. Today's Torah of nature, choosing the way of faith, balancing delicately on nature's thread. Everything speaks of God's glory in all its complexity, in its beating heart, in its burrowing roots, in its silk, in its organic faith. All life is a psalm.